today. And it's something you can rely on, something you can absolutely know that it is of God and is true. We have learned last week that there is a God. And we learned that this God has the answers. And the right or wrong of life comes from God. Justice and injustice, God tells us what that is. And so in times of of chronic disease, chronic sickness, and chronic, uh, let me say it this way, a facade that is given by the world, they have the answer. God is the answer. That's what we've learned. But today, we're going to learn that the Word of God is true, and you and I can rely on it. Let's pray. Father, thank you just for the truth of the Word of God. Lord, let us just open up our hearts, whatever injustices, whatever situations of life that have happened to us personally. Lord, as individuals, help us to recognize you are in control. And as we know your ways and walk in your ways, we can go through tribulation and come on the other side in victory because the word of, says, words of God says that you have overcome. We receive that now. Lord, cause our minds and our hearts just to relax today and to really see the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you as you are seated. It is so good to watch you as a congregation live the pillars of the church, which comes from the Word of God. It also is exciting to watch the breakthroughs that all of us are having in the many areas that we talked about in our church. This is the year of breakthrough. I'm experiencing the power of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit greater than I ever have before. I am hearing God in a greater realm than I ever have before. And I'm just one person of many here. You have the same ability as I do. And so I encourage you, and I just proclaim to you in Jesus' name, all sickness must bow to the name of Jesus Christ. So please turn your Bibles or your phones, your iPads, to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and... Put your finger there and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Last week, again, I talked about how do I know there is a God? And this week, again, how do I know the Bible is true? I do, as I did last week, recommended something. I want to recommend a book. That's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, written by Josh McDowell. It's an older book. You can go online and you can order that and, and read that. It is helping us to understand the answers that the world has questions of. Because we know the God, the only true God, we have the answers, but we need to know those answers from the character of God, and literally how to explain the things of the Lord. 
So it's called evidence that demands a verdict. If you're a believer and want to answer questions about your faith that people do have, this is the book and the Word of God is what you lean on. So again today, let's move into this realm and let's prove to you that the Word of God is true and it's the only word that we should trust in. So my first point today is kind of uh, childlike. It's, it's very simplistic. You know me, I'm, I'm basically kind of simplistic. We di- dive into things like last uh, week, we dove into some pretty scientific things and, and the realm of that. But I want you to know that this is very simple. Why, how do I know the Word of God is true? Because the Bible says so. We need to understand that. The Bible says so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, that statement, if you're listening to me, watching me online, that statement is not for you, the non-believer. If today you're still questioning whether there really is a God, the first part of my message is really not for you, I'm going to talk to the believer on the first point, but on our second point, I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to show you that the Word of God is true, and the God that I serve, the God the Valley Community Church serves, is the one and only true God. Next week, we're going to talk about how do I know that Jesus Christ is the only way, and we're going to show that to you also. So... Matter of fact, Jesus quoted from Scripture three quarters of the Old Testament. He always said the Scriptures. Now, why I'm bringing that out, very simplistic, is when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Jesus said three times, it is written. So follow me as we talk about this. That's how Jesus defeated temptation. Jesus himself authenticates the Scripture by calling them the Scripture. The word Scripture actually means inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But notice that whole statement that I just read, that whole statement is one word in the Greek. And is profitable... This word means beneficial. The word is beneficial for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So with that read, believer, let's move on and let's begin to describe this to ourselves. So remember the words given by inspiration of God. That one word in the Greek is theonoustos. Theonoustos. It's two words, compound word, means theo and neustos. Theo means God, and neustos means breathed or breath. So the literal Greek meaning is, all Scripture is God-breathed. Now follow the point here. Think about it this way. When you speak, you breathe or you stop, and you take a breath. 
That's basically what it's saying, that God stopped, took a breath, and spoke the word of God. Now, I know all of us know some people that never take a breath when they speak, but we still love them, don't we? So you breathe when you speak. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says this. I'm going to add a little bit to this, but I will pause so you know where I'm adding. Knowing this first, or you must know because it is a priority. So it's saying knowing this first, this is a priority of life. That no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy, speaks of prophecy in the Scripture, never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we must recognize, believer, that all the Scripture is God-breathed, came from God through the Holy Spirit, written by men. All right? So God spoke, and men wrote what they were inspired by God to write. So now, let me just say this to you. Why was it written down? Why didn't it just be spoken of God and that was it? Because we know if God speaks, it's truth. You just don't want a contract spoken. You want a contract in life written. Some question, well, if Jesus is the word, why does he have to be written? So let me just kind of give you a, a corny illustration. A young man was doing his dissertation for a PhD. Now, it's corny, but this is true, what happened. In front of the board, he disagreed with the process that they had for the PhD. So he argued his point by saying, the writer told me, the person told me, and the board stopped him and said, you can't do that, you need to write it down with footnotes and et cetera and present it to us. And the young man said, I disagree with the process. I just need to tell you what I know. And so the board thought for a moment, and they said, okay, go on, and he did. A few months, months later, the professor called him and said, you passed, and we are giving you your PhD. But it will not be in writing we will just tell you, you have it. So bottom line, it would be worthless, right? And so I want you to understand why it was written so that we can go back to what was, it was written. And that's going to lead me to the second point, and those that are listening and watching, and if you are still trying to decide whether Jesus Christ is the true Lord, then I want to prove to you that the Word of God is true and no other book is like the Bible. So first, the Bible tells me this, that the Word of God is truth. The second way that I know the Bible is true, it's amazing. The Bible is amazing. Now, church family, you may not know how amazing this book called the Bible is, 
So let's do some comparisons with other religions. I am not knocking people, but I am knocking deception and untruth because the Word of God is truth. So the book of Buddha are sermons by one man. Buddhism comes from a book by one person. The Quran is our writings of one man after he died. That's why the Quran has changed many times. But the Bible is 66 books written by 40 men over 1,500 years. There is one single thread throughout the whole book, and we'll show that to you in a moment, and it's absolutely amazing. The Bible, they began writing about the mid-14th century B.C., continued through late 1st century A.D. So 1,500 years, 40 writers, and 66 books. Let's go on. The collusion factor is a miracle. All the prophecies written have been fulfilled. Now, let me show you. Isaiah and Micah wrote their part of the Bible 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah spoke of the virgin birth 700 years before Jesus was born of Mary. Micah named the city in which he would be born. You say, okay, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, what does that mean? Well, <laughs> David wrote about the crucifixion 1,000 years before he was crucified and 500 years before anyone on record had ever been crucified. The first person crucified we know that's written about in history happened in 497 B.C. or before Christ. So 1,000 years before David describes it, and Isaiah did as well. Daniel writes 500 years B.C. before Christ and writes about, watch this, an empire that dominates the world. This is 500 years before. We're trying to describe to you how do we know the Bible is true? Because what I'm showing you, beginning to show you, and I could spend days on this, is that many of the things that were written would be an impossibility mathematically that this was done in all these years. But people today, especially during COVID time, have tried to dispute the reality of the church and the reality of the Word of God that deception, and many Christians have fallen to it. 
So again, Daniel writes 500 years BC and writes about an empire that dominates the world. He said that this domination of the empire suddenly is cut off. Then he writes, it's then divided into four empires. And those four empires become two empires, and then they become one empire. Then the Messiah will come. Okay? Hang on to that. Let me now give you a history lesson. 300 years before Christ or B.C., you have Alexander the Great who dominated the whole world. Alexander was killed when he was 32 years old and he was suddenly cut off. After he was killed, remember he dominated the world, the kingdom that he led was divided among the four generals which then the four generals each had an empire which became four empires. It's called the, the, those four empires then became two empires called the, the Selavoid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire. Those two became one empire called the Roman Empire. Then Jesus was born. Now explain that, church how someone that many years before the empire didn't even exist wrote about the history before the history became. Historians are confounded by Daniel's writings being so accurate. So people always ask me, well, how do you know the Bible is true? My question to you is how do you know it's not? Dr. Bruce Metziger from Princeton made this statement. After you take the 20,000 lines of the New Testament, it is safe for any scholar to say this. Listen to this. 99.6% of the Bible has been corroborated by other historical documents. Wow. History confirms what is written in the Bible. No book has been more scrutinized and studied in 3,500 years and always has been proven true. Now, because I'm a, a reader, I got books on my bedstand. I'm always reading two, three books at a time. There's a gentleman, his name is Voltaire Francois-Marie Aravet. You can tell he's from France. He's a philosopher who criticized Christian and Christianity in the late 1700s, and he said the Bible will be a forgotten book in 100 years. So let me tell you what has happened. Today, you can go there. Voltaire is dead and gone. 
and the French Bible Society owns his house. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Voltaire is dead and gone, and the French Bible Society owns his home. Amen. The Bible also is and has been the best-selling book of all time. Amen. Now, I'm going to give you some reason and odds of that I know the Bible is true. All right? The mathematical odds that 66 books over 1,500 years and 40 different writers would be as congruent as these books are. Dr. Peter Schoffer, who is an American professor of science at Edmonton University, I, I think, all right? I, I believe it's Edmonton University. He did a study <laughs> with 12 classes of students which is over 600 students. And this is what they studied. They studied the mathematical odds of the Messianic prophecies. The first that they studied was the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. All right? So he took the population of Bethlehem and the population of the world at that time and Jesus had a one in 300,000 chance of being born in Bethlehem, okay? But it was prophesied hundreds of years before that he would be in Scripture. Then a few students, how many of you know students are really smart? Okay, lots smarter than me. A few students said, we didn't put in the study that Jesus didn't even live there. It's like if you were born in El Monte, did your parents live in El Monte? Okay? So the question, what would be the odds that Jesus was born in a city that his mother didn't live in? Remember, the census went out and she had to travel to Bethlehem where he was born. So remember, Micah prophesied 700 years before that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. So here's something else. There's about 54 Messianic prophecies in the Bible with a little over 300 references to the prophecies in the Bible that Scripture tells us that Jesus fulfilled them all. So they took eight of the messianic prophecies, these students, these smart heads, that historical, that historical documents of the day confirmed and left the Bible out of it. So in other words, they didn't study it or give proof because the Bible said it. They studied to give proof because historical documents written down proved that this took place. Like Jesus was born in Bethlehem and there was a census. And he did, Jesus died on the cross and that was recorded too, written down in history. 
So they decided to figure out the mathematical odds of one person uh, fulfilling these eight prophecies. They submitted their findings also, not just because they did it, they submitted it to the American Scientific Affiliation, which would study a study and say whether it was a good study or not. They verified that these calculations were dependable and accurate in regards to science. Science proves the word of God is truth. So let me show you. The mathematic odds that Jesus fulfilled the eight, even though he fulfilled all 54, the eight that says history proved he fulfilled was, here's the odds, one in 10 to the 17th power for all of you mathematical geniuses, none of you know exactly what that is. Well, it's called one in one quintillions. All right? So what is that? That's a one with 18 zeros past it. Or a 10 with 17 zeros past it. So now let me give you an explanation. Uh, Okay, I'm simple here. I'm just trying to tell you all this deception, all this arguing about whether the Word of God is true. You know, you, you, you go to the South and they argue, only the King James is the Bible you should use. Only this, only that. Now, I will say to you that different translations leave out certain things. And I get that. I, I understand that. There is no perfect Bible that translates the Greek or the Hebrew and all the other languages used of that day. Because at times, Jesus, people say, well, Jesus spoke Greek. No, he didn't. He spoke other languages. So it was recorded in that. So in the recording, at times there will be some things, but when you study it and dig down deep into the Greek and the Hebrew, you can, and that's what I do, I ascertain exactly what Scripture is saying, and then I bring it to you. We have Pastor Dan that uh, is becoming and or is a Greek scholar and that he studies, and I ask him questions all the time. I'm coming up with this, with the Greek, what is it saying? And he will do his thing, and a while later he'll come back to me and show me exactly what is, is termed. So I said all that is I now want to give you an explanation of the odds of that these prophecies were fulfilled based on what was prophesied hundreds, decades, and, and 500,000, you know, 2,000 years, 3,500 years ago that would all be congruent and come together. So if you took what that quintillions means, the chance of it happening this way, but it did, if you took silver dollars and laid them side by side, covering the state of Texas, 10 with the power of 17 zeros behind it, the silver dollars covering Texas would be two feet high. That's the chance of this happening. And I'm saying to you, it did. The word of God is true. Amen. Then you put, watch this, I'm going to show you how 
almost impossible it would have happened. Then you put a mark on one silver dollar in that pile in Texas and blindfold a man and say to him, find the silver dollar that's marked by reaching down and find it. That's the odds that Jesus would have fulfilled the eight again, but he did. Because history tells us he did, and it was written down. That's the importance of the word not only being spoken, the rhema word, but being written down that we have in front of us every single day. I, church family, I'm just going to say this. I don't get it when people don't fall in love with the Word of God. I can't imagine people not reading the Word of God because it is God himself speaking to the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit through 40 men and it was written down. So you and I, when we read it, it's like God speaking to me or you. So when we talk about reading the Word on a daily basis, we're not talking about reading just a book or books. We're talking about God breathe His heart towards you and me. So I know the Bible is true, but how could He fulfill them all is the question. Here's the third for all of us, believer or non-believer. I know the author personally. His name is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've given you some logical, scientific reasoning of I know the Bible is true, but at some point, everyone listening to my voice, you have to come to a place of a step of faith to believe. You cannot just ascertain by reasoning. You must come to a step of faith. It's not a leap of faith. It's just a step. We grow daily reading the Word of God. The Bible points to a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. John 5, 39 says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. That's Jesus Christ. John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. His name is Jesus the Christ. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. The reason I know the Bible is true is because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. History tells us he did. Jesus could have falsified the Bible. He could have said something like this. He could have said, I will rise from the dead spiritually. But he said in Scripture, I will rise from the dead bodily. He died and he rose again. 
and over 500 people saw him. That's what the Bible says, and that's what historical things have been stated, written down by men of old. And, let me say it again, and the historical documents of the day say he rose from the dead. People say, well, how do you know the Bible's true? Hello? That's it. For some of you, you believe the deception, you believe that it's not true, it's not for today, because the language is different than of today, because it's not woke. Yes, it is. It's the most woke book in the, in the world. From the beginning, you were created in the image and likeness of God. From the beginning, did you know that when God created Adam, Eve was in Adam. And when he saw that it was, it, it was not good that man should be alone, he took a rib out of Adam and he molded and shaped Eve. Co-equal from the beginning. It's man that perverts it. And we need to get to a place in our life that we know, that we, when we know that there is a God and we know God, then we know our identity. And we need to not despise people. We need to love all people, and the Bible says that. God so loved the world. It didn't say God so loved the church, even though he does. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The father gave his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish and have everlasting life. Co-equal. Marriage, co-equal. And we have to get to that place of understanding with all the arguments, with all the stuff we hear, we have to understand if we will stick with this Bible, then we will be the most woke people in the world according to God's standard, what is right with God. And we have to get to that place where we understand that. I know that we got people because they disagree, they go into restaurants and they can't even eat peacefully. They, they, they protest in front of their homes and all that. And, you know, if you write me an email, I'm going to answer in love to you. But I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you, the church. I'm just going to tell you, refute what I just taught. I got people come in my office all the time, not all the time, sometimes, through the 43 years. Tithing is not of God. This is not of God. This is, you know, and I, I'm just, I just, I'm not going to argue. Well, I'm not trying to argue with it. I'm just telling you, you know, and then after I just say, well, I, you know, let me show you scripture and they'll show me scripture. <laughs> and I go, okay, you want to argue with me, all right? Well, let's dig down and I'll show them other scripture. Well, I didn't see that. Well, okay, that's why I believe in the tithing. And, and then they'll, well, you're, you're teaching false doctrine, and they walk out, and they leave. I love them. For those who are listening online, not watching, I just waved. I love people, because I know there's someone like you outside the church that will change their mind. Amen. You're not going to believe me Yes, I'm the pastor of the church, but I'm one person. But there's you out there too.
other people from churches that teach the Word of God and believe that the Word of God is true. So when I do this, it's not a, you know, don't let the door hit you while you're leaving. No, I'm going like this. God's going to bring someone else around you. Amen. And he's going to touch you through them. Because when you walk in my office, you know, you're like this. I'm in the pastor's office. And (laughs) it's just a room. That's all it is. There's no anointing in the room. There's anointing in me. There's no anointing in your house by itself, but there's anointing in you. All right, let's go on. The historical documents of the day say he rose from the dead. Some say, well, you know, he wasn't really dead. Well, the historical documents and the Word of God tells us that a Roman soldier put a spear in his his heart and blood and water spewed out. We got doctors in here, nurses in here. You know, when that happens, they're dead. And he was dead. So the medical books say that that's how you know someone is dead. Again, he was dead. Everyone say, Jesus died. But he rose again. Amen? Muhammad and Buddha are still in the grave. For 2,000 years, archaeologists, have you ever seen those studies where they go all over the place looking for his body that was hidden? 2,000 years, archaeologists have never to this day found his body. You know why? Let me tell you simply, because he's alive. He sits on the right hand of the Father. He has a body. He's the only one in there that has ever come to this earth, lived on this earth, and gone to heaven that has a body. He still has that body, and it's scarred. Why is it scarred? For your healing. So I have some questions for you if you're wondering if the Bible is true and Jesus is is who he says he was. Let me give you these questions, and next week I will have the list for you, but I didn't give it to you this week because I want you to listen to the questions, all right? Next week, you'll get it. They'll pass it out. Uh, So everyone, all the ushers, you're going to be passing this out next week. How did he arrange to be born in a specific family? How did he arrange to be born in a specific family? Because of time, I'm not going to read the scriptures to you, but that is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Verse 12 and 13. Here's the next question. How did he arrange to be born in a specific city in which his parents didn't live? You find that in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Well, here's a third question. How did he arrange his own death and specifically by crucifixion with two others? You find that. In Isaiah 53, verse 12. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Here's the fourth. How did he arrange to have his executioners gamble for his clothing? Remember? They split his clothing. Well, you know, Jesus was poor, and so we should all be poor as Christians. Really? Really? 
Why did they gamble for his robe? Because his robe was very expensive. He went to the Nordstrom's of the day and bought his robe. You find that in Psalm 22, verse 18, prophesied. Hmm. Here's the next question. How did he arrange to be betrayed in advance and to be crucified on the exact day that the Jews sacrificed a spotless lamb for their sins? How did he arrange to do that? He was looked at as a criminal. He should have just been crucified any old time. But he was crucified exactly when it was prophesied. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13, and John 18, verse 39. Here's the next question. How did he arrange to have the executioners carry out the regular practice of breaking the legs of the two victims on each side, but not his own? This is the practice of crucifixion, because you literally die of, of asphyxiation, where you can't breathe anymore, okay? And so at times, so they weren't on the cross longer than they wanted them to be, they would break the legs so that there would be no ability for the person to try to take a breath, because they had no strength in their legs because the legs were broken. How in the world did he do that? And they didn't break his legs because the Bible prophesied that nothing was broken. Psalm 34, verse 20. John 19, verse 32 and 33. If you want this before next week, you can go online and watch it again. I mean, I, I would ask you to listen to the whole thing, but if not, fast forward to near the end. And you can get these. This was prophesied 1,000 years before about his legs. Here's the last question. How did he arrange to come back to life on the exact day he said he would? Matthew 16, 21. In three days. I could spend a week teaching on that scripture alone because of the truth that is in there. And here's the main answer, because he's God. He's God. Jesus is the son of God, and he died on that cross because he loves you and me. And he saved you and me from our sins. So, 66 books over 1,500 years and 40 writers. They are consistent with history. They are congruent with truth. And they converge in one person. And his name is Jesus the Christ, my Lord and Savior. I've met him. I know him. I talk with him. I walk with him. He knows me. He talks with me. He walks with me. And every one of us 
can have the same thing. What it takes is a step of faith and refuting, not by arguing. Don't argue with people. We'll learn that next week. Don't argue with people. I know that truth, and it has set me free. One day, one day, I'm planning a long time from now, but it's God's plan. I will be with him face to face. And the struggle in the church today is this. Do you really believe the word of God is true? And if you struggle with that, go over what I just taught on. You cannot refute this. Imagine with me, silver dollars, two feet high, the whole miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of Texas. That's a probability that happened, but history shows us it did. And I'm telling you the reason why, because God said it. Yeah, God said it. If you're watching me online and, and maybe you've never heard a message like this, I want you to recognize Jesus Christ is Lord. The word of God is true. Come to this great place. Keep listening to us all over the world. But come to this great place, Valley Community Church, and meet these great people, and we'll teach you the word of God. We'll disciple you. We'll mentor you. We'll help you live a life of freedom. This is not the power of the group. This is the power of individuals. It's even written in our Constitution. The power of individuals. That we are free, created by God, anointed of the Holy Spirit, to live the call of, remember, the beginning of the series, the callings of God in our life, our careers, everything in our life. The word of God is true. Church family, let's stand. And I want us to pray, and I want us to, as we pray, I want us to allow the Holy Spirit to just envelop your heart with a passion to lead people to Jesus Christ let people know that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about going around and proving they're wrong and you're right. <laughs> Even though that's true. <laughs> but that's not what it's about. When you love people the way God loves people, it's really not about what they're doing or not doing. It's about that you know that they are created in the image and likeness of God and deception, not, not intelligence, deception is taking place. And they haven't seen the truth. And they are believing the lies of the enemy. Doubting the church. Even though the church isn't perfect, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we need to confess our sins. He's not talking to the unbeliever. He's talking to the believer. We're not perfect. But we have to get to a place of realizing that we're to exemplify 
and speak of and love people as the perfect one. His name is Jesus Christ. And so as I pray, I'd like to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reports of you leading people to Jesus Christ. I have the privilege of leading four people to the Lord this week. Amen, I, I have. It's, it's not applauding me per se, but we're applauding the Holy Spirit. He's preparing people for you. You know, I mean, they, they even, the masks, I get it medically. Hiding the face, the smiles, the joys. And if you are afraid still of not wearing a mask, come and wear your mask. We're not going to make fun of you. We got people wearing masks in here today. We're not making fun of you. Wear it, but serve Jesus. Amen. Amen. I went to a doctor appointment this past week, and hello, I'm clinically well, but I, I, I like that terminology. He goes, Pastor, man, you're, you're clinically, clinically well like a 30-year-old. And uh, that's more than half my age. But the reality is this. I wore a mask because there are people that are sick that are in there. Why is that? Because I love people. Amen? I respect people. I give honor to people. Amen. And that's how you do it. That's how you make changes in life. You give honor. You give honor. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word, the truth that sets us free. I proclaim in Jesus' name over this community, Valley Community Church, in Jesus' name, you are well. You are healed. You are anointed. You are the called. You succeed in life. Why? Because God said it. Not because I said, I repeated what God said. And because of that, I'm speaking the truth. Thank you, Lord, for blessing Valley Community, blessing every aspect of our church, from our children with VBS, from the men that were having the conference in August, for the women that are having the breakfast in August, for the seniors as they gather together in Bible study, for the children, everything, everything we do. Lord, it is a program to gather. Lord, we give you first place, the priority of the Word of God in everything. Blessings upon blessings upon our country and all that serve you well. We give you honor and praise for that. Thank you, Lord. Salvation is taking place all over the world right now because of what has been taught. In Jesus' name, be whole spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And we give you honor and praise, Lord, for what you have proclaimed and that it is true that your word is everything for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week.